0: What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Ricky Waisaki, a two-time disc golf world champion. In this conversation, we discuss the business of disc golf, how much the top players are making, Ricky's new four-year, $4 million deal, why he took $250,000 in Bitcoin, and more. This was a fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable. That's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, WHOOP gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your WHOOP on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their smart garments clothing called WHOOP Body. The band connects with an app on your phone and automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go or on a run. You can then analyze your activity and recovery levels in your app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it, like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where WHOOP really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you are wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. I've been wearing Whoop for over a year now and it's drastically improved the way I approach fitness and think about my recovery. But here's the best part Whoop is now offering 15% off of their all new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to whoop, dot com and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter and now feel healthier with whoop optimize your performance with the all new whoop 4.0 today next up is public rec are you looking to upgrade your baggy sweats it's time to check out public rec their best-selling all-day everyday pant is the perfect combination of indoor comfort and outdoor style myself along with thousands of others are wearing these and trust me they live up to the height finally a more stylish alternative to sweatpants that are way more comfortable than jeans now Your favorite lounge pants can also be your go-tos for work, happy hour, and the gym. After a year at home, they're definitely the pants you need, now that you need pants. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now, they have an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to publicrec.com and use promo code HUDDLE, H-U-D-D-L-E, to receive 10% off. This episode is also sponsored by CoinCloud. Did you know you don't need a bank account to buy crypto? CoinCloud makes it easy to buy or sell Bitcoin and 30-plus other digital assets with their digital currency machines. It's the most convenient way to make a transaction. With thousands of machines across the country, there's no need to connect your bank account or wait in lines. Plus, they offer live, 24-7, U.S.-based customer support. Simply put, CoinCloud wants to make it easy for you to get involved in crypto. Get $50 off in free Bitcoin when you buy $200 or more at any CoinCloud machine and use the promo code JOE. You heard that right. That's free Bitcoin. For details, go to coin.cloud slash Joe. That's coin.cloud slash Joe. And don't forget to use promo code Joe for free Bitcoin. All right, Ricky, thanks so much for doing this. I'm really pumped that you came on the show today.
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad to be here, man. It's awesome to be the first disc golfer on the show, I would imagine. And glad to be here. Glad to be sharing some time and shedding some light on the disc golf world
0: you were definitely the first disc golfer but that's why i'm so excited i think a lot of people don't really know much about the sport that's probably going to change in my opinion and i'm sure you believe the same but i would love to learn more about the business i know that you just signed a what we'll call a massive deal specifically for the sport when it comes to a sponsorship agreement that you announced this week you're taking a portion of it in bitcoin and getting paid about a million dollars a year and guaranteed money so massive deal congratulations on that first and foremost
1: Yeah, thank you, man. It's great for the sport. It's obviously it's great for me. I'm one of the faces of the sport right now. And so I feel like it's my obligation to come forward with the contracts. And so the general public can realize that, hey, that disc golf is a real professional sport. I know for years, we were always fighting the stigma of burnouts, playing disc golf, going to the local course and just smoking, doing drugs, that kind of stuff. But and that's always going to be there. But it's always something to where like Just like any sport, there's always going to be those select amount of people that just go use it to do bad stuff. But there's always the professional side, too. And nobody really started talking about that until really just the last five years or so since the breakout of the sport. And I think that I'm just helping validate it in a lot of people's minds. And I think that that's important to me. And it's important for me to do my due diligence and grow in growing the sport, be in the face for it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think me personally, I've certainly seen some of the shots and some things like that tournament wise, but the last two times that I really saw the sport like blow up on social media and stuff was Paul's deal and your deal, which were both for a million dollars and getting those numbers out there, I think are super helpful because in most of the big sports, they don't always tell you kind of the details of this stuff. But when it comes to disc golf, I think it's cool that you guys are sharing the details behind it and letting people know that the sport's growing and everything. So that's great. But speaking of that, one of the things that I'm fascinated with and kind of the basis of the show is the business behind these things. And I think it's really interesting how this is turning into a real sport where people like yourself can do this full time and make money from it and make substantial amounts of money. So maybe let's start with the background of the sport. And maybe the best place to start on that is your background, which is like, how did you become a professional disc golfer? Like, what is the path to do that?
1: Yeah. So I started playing in like 2009, 2010 in Ohio, grew up near a local course. And obviously at the time, disc golf wasn't in a spot where it was now. And There wasn't really that much of a professional aspect to the sport. It was more just a hobby. It's really turned into a professional sport, I would say, the last five years or so. The Disc Golf Pro Tour has really taken it to that next level with the organization and and a lot of the stuff that they're doing. But rewinding to my young days is I just had a passion for it. I started playing a lot, and then I started traveling to local tournaments in my Honda Civic and just sleeping in my car, playing a local tournament and eating off the dollar menu. And really just putting in the blood, sweat, and tears that it took to just get my skills. And just like anything, you got to start from the bottom. And that's exactly what I did. Slept in my car, practiced all day, sleep in the parking lot of the disc golf course, and then go ahead and do it again the next week. And so I did that for about six months to a year until I could finally afford hotel rooms at the tournaments I was getting, <laughs> I was playing. And uh, obviously, I was the infancy of the sport. There wasn't much money in it. And I was trying to pursue a sport that there really wasn't that much money in, just because of the passion that I had for it. You know, it's hard to convince your parents to get support. I was always a baseball player. I was into the mainstream sports, which is great. Baseball, basketball, that kind of stuff. And I actually like botched my high school tryouts on purpose. So that way I could pursue disc golf. My dad was always the typical all-American dad, like, hey, you got to play baseball. And, and I actually like, I played shortstop in high school and I just like missed ground balls and I'd strike out on purpose just because I wanted to play disc golf. But my dad wanted me to play baseball. But it's funny looking back now that, yeah, there's career paths to be had for kids coming up nowadays in the sport. It's not just a drug burnout sport. It's a professional sport with real contracts, real money. There's building blocks that you have to take to make that step to become a professional. And started for me in my Honda Civic, traveling around to local tournaments throughout Ohio, throughout bordering states, and obviously transpired to where I am today.
0: I love it. I love it. I'm assuming your dad is probably pretty happy with how things turned out, knowing that baseball is probably a different level, right? Professional wise, and and now you're doing just well for yourself. So that's awesome. How about when it comes to the tour, right? How do you make it on the tour? You're doing these smaller tournaments, you're traveling around in the civic and doing these things, but how do you actually get on the tour?
1: So back then it's changing, obviously a lot right now, but I'll start with back then. So back then you had the PDJ, which is a professional organization. They would host all these different tournaments And then you would obviously get a payout based on how you performed in all the tournaments. But a lot of the coverage and stuff was on YouTube. So that's where the sport's grown a lot is through YouTube. We're just starting to get big networks involved with like ESPN and and that kind of stuff. So CBS, ESPN, some of these networks are really starting to take note of the growth of the sport. Nowadays, they're starting to post content and post shots or post tournament overviews. But back then it was all YouTube. So you wanted to try to get your name on the feature card of the, whoever's filming the event to be able to get your name out there in the disc golf world. It's just like any sport. There's a lot of people that pay attention to disc golf and watch it on YouTube. So in order for you to build a name and build a brand, you have to make it on those feature cards that are on YouTube that people are watching and get in front of their eyes. And then what that does, that builds your name within the sponsors of the sport and the manufacturers, like my new manufacturer deal with Dynamic, that they're a manufacturer. And so what that does, you being on those videos, it gets eyes on you just like any other professional athlete And you influence people based on how you play and playing at the top level.
0: Okay, so that's fascinating. And I have two questions off of that, and they kind of relate to each other. But like, when you win an event, how much are you winning on these tournaments? And then off of that, how many people are doing this full time? Do majority of the people 50, 75, 90% have full time jobs? Or are more people focusing on full time disc golf than I think?
1: Yeah, so are you asking back in the day or like right now? Right now. Okay. So right now in Disc Golf Pro Tour, which is a big organization that's running a lot of these events, we have tour cards similar to the PGA, where you have to finish top 72 in the points for that professional year. I think there's 15 events in a year on the Disc Golf Professional Tour. And then there's other majors and other tournaments mixed in. But within those 15 tournaments, you have to qualify in the top 72 to be able to qualify for the next year. So there's qualifications, you can't just sign up. For a tournament, you have to qualify and you have to be a top player in the world to make it on tour. But as far as the money and where most of the money comes from in the professional side is if you win a tournament, you can win depending on the tournament. Like the world championships was like $25,000. But if you win, most of the money comes from outside sponsors, outside royalties on discs that you're going to sell. Because just like anything, if a company can advertise that you are the world champion then people are going to naturally gravitate towards that product, towards your disc that you come out with in a lineup of discs with that manufacturer. And so for the manufacturer, they're getting a ton of value out of a player that wins a world championships or wins a tournament because they're able to print that on a disc and that's worth a lot of money. So yeah, you're not getting paid as much on the front end with actually the, the payout, but a lot of our money comes from the back end with the signature, the royalties on products, And so that's why I'm able to make the million dollar deal that I've got. A lot of it's based on royalties and the dynamic. disc is guaranteeing the million dollars. And then that's just a minimum. If I go over, obviously I can sell 2 million and I collect another million dollars, but the million is just guaranteed. And it's up to me to build my brand, to, you know, be active on social media. And so I think that that's another reason why my brand is at a point where I'm worth a million dollars also is because I've grown my social media presence. And I've paired that with being the best disc golf player in the world. And so that means a lot to this company, Dynamic, seeing the value that I bring from not just an athletic standpoint, but also a branding, marketing, social media standpoint.
0: Gotcha. So how do these deals work? I know you have a guaranteed deal, Paul McBeth, who also signed a, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a 10-year, $10 million deal. So same structure, yours is a little shorter. And we can talk about later kind of why you did that or whatnot. But how many players on tour are guaranteed money? Or are most of them still doing royalty or like appearance fees and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, me and Paul are, I'm four years, he's 10 years. He wanted to kind of do a lifetime deal with disc rep, which is great. And it's something to worry yeah, He's going to be set for life. And and for me, I'm 28 years old and the disc golf career usually lasts till you're between 38 and 40. And, and obviously, once you take care of yourself and prolong my career. But so for me, that was the reasoning behind that is I'm 28. I'm going to be 32 by the time I renegotiate my next deal. And I'm still going to hopefully be healthy. And still be in my prime and in a spot to negotiate another deal. But yeah, this golf right now is, you know, obviously me and Paul are making a lot of money. And I would say the top 10 players in the world are making probably if I had to guess top 10, maybe top 20 are making over six figures. Me and Paul are making a lot of the money because we have the biggest brands and we have the most consistent play. We've won almost every world championship in the sport for the past almost like 10 years. I think there's been two people out of like the 10 years that have won a world it's not me or Paul. And so we just have such a huge brand in the sport that we've always been rivals and we've always been neck and neck in all the tournaments that we have. So we built the brand on the rivalry that we have as well. I would say top 20, you're really making a good living. Everyone's deals are structured differently. And I think that's because everyone in the sport has a little bit different of a brand. Some players are maybe better performance-wise, better athletically, but not so much uh, social media-wise. They may not be present on social media or may not be good at social media. And so they don't have as much value there. And I'm sure you've probably seen Brody Smith. He's a great advocate for the sport and he's starting to really get his feet wet in the professional ranks. And so he's got such a great social media presence. So he sells this for companies and he has an influence that way. And he's really trying to work hard, train and get his game to the point where he can be a top 10 player in the world. So that way he can have the, the social media aspect partnered with the top professional play and perform well enough to kind of merge those together and have a good brand to be able to capitalize and make a lot of money in a
0: big contract with a company. What do you have to shoot to be like a top 10 or 20 player in the world?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. So the tour courses are hard. It's just like golf. I mean, you can go out there to local courses and an average Joe Schmo golfer might shoot, you know, even or 10 over, but with a professional golfer is going to shoot eight, 10 under, it's the same thing with this golf, like a tour course, we're shooting 10 to 12 under. And that's uh, those are hard, challenging courses. So We're playing at a high level. You're getting a lot of birdies. It's just like any sport. You have to make those clutch shots. There's a lot of players that play at a high level. So in order to separate yourself just a little bit, you have to, if you have a putt for the win or if you have a long drive that you need to throw in the last hole or something, You have to separate yourself and have that last little bit of mental stamina to separate yourself. And so it's very similar to any other sport. And there's moments where you have to clutch up and there's players that clutch up, have that clutch gene, so to say, and there's players that maybe don't perform so well, but that's just the pressure of professional sports and how everyone reacts differently. You know, just like any sport, that's what separates the great from a good professional player. And and I always say it in basketball, baseball, there's different levels of professionals. And it's the same way in disc golf. It's like a tier one, tier two, tier three. Say use basketball, for example, it's like LeBron James, it was Kobe Bryant, it was those kind of players. And maybe tier two might be like, and I'm sure you could you could rank them all differently, but I don't know, like JR Smith. He's obviously like a tier two, tier three professional. He yep. wouldn't be like, and so it's the same thing in disc golf. And me and Paul are the tier one players, and there's obviously a couple more sprinkled in top five players in the world that are in that tier. But yeah, it's a skill set and that mental capacity that it takes to really make that shot when it counts.
0: How many hole in ones do you have on tour?
1: I have probably like, so on tour, on tournaments, probably I would say like 10, which is a lot because that's in tournaments. Like a lot of my aces and hole-in-ones are like in practice before a round. I've had a couple at the, uh, one at the United States Disc Golf Championships, which is one of the biggest events we have. And that one made it on ESPN. It was kind of cool that they were telling me that I knocked off one of Steph Curry's half court shots or something. So it was kind of cool to have disc golf really be featured in like some of the top 10 plays. That's kind of where we really got our feet wet with ESPN. And then there's some disc golfers that work there and our disc golf advocates that really helped out getting the sport in some tournaments on ESPN. So yeah, hole-in-ones are great. It's something that goes viral. It's great for outsiders to watch. It's fun for them to watch, and it grows the sport in their eyes being able to watch a fun shot like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's good from like a clip perspective, for sure. Those go viral. And I've certainly seen some of them on ESPN. So that's awesome. All right, let's talk about your deal real quick. You just signed it with Dynamic Disc. It's four years, $4 million for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. It's the largest annual value deal in disc golf history tied with Paul Macbeth. How did this come about? Is this like more than you expected? Is this something that you did expect? Like, just walk me through kind of how this all happened.
1: Yeah. So I have an actual tour manager. So she's been with me for about two years now. So the sport's grown to the point where a lot of the top players that have big brands and a lot to represent. They have agents and we have managers that are following with us year round because we're going all over the country, all different tournaments. So she kind of handles the scheduling. She gets Airbnbs at all the different tournaments that we're playing in. So she just handles a lot of sponsor emails, just a ton of different stuff. So having her, she's helped a lot. And so she's been able to see all the dynamics within the disc golf manufacturing businesses. And so she was able to be my manager and and represent me to these manufacturers in the deal and being able to say, hey, yeah, I see my athlete has a ton of value here. His brand's grown. His social media presence has grown. You know, I just got done having the best season of the year. I won 2021 player of the year. I won in tour points. And so there's a lot of the categories that measures a good year. And I was first in almost all of those. And so I had a lot of leverage. I was able to use that with my next deal. And so I think that that was obviously important, being able to use that as leverage, you know, based on my performance. But yeah, I think that that's something to where that was instrumental, being able to have a a tour manager. And now, like I said, agencies going out and pursuing outside of disc golf sponsors, because it's getting to that point too, where, yeah, this is a great that I have a manufacturing deal with company inside the sport, but the sport's grown enough to where there's going to be outside big companies that want to get involved and see the value that us athletes have. Yeah, it's obviously not a LeBron James, but there's still value there, numbers-wise, with how many people I influence based on my performance and my social media, and so that's what the outside companies are really going to start realizing, I think, pretty soon.
0: You're obviously competitive. I'm curious if just one part of you, and be honest, was like, we need to go for a million, a million and one dollars. Did you want like the the biggest deal or no? <laughs> yeah,
1: so I did, but I think that with the way the negotiations went, I was comfortable. Like I said, with the four years and you know, of course, I wanted to go higher, but there was obviously negotiations that took place to get to that million-dollar deal. And yeah, we've we've always been rivals too. I mean, that's the other thing is it's like we're rivals. I want to make more than my competitor, my biggest rival in the sport. You know, the more I look at it, it's like yeah, I'm competitive on the disc golf course and I'm a fierce competitor. But I think there's a part of me that wants to be a team player and grow in the sport as a whole, so that way everybody can make what they're worth. I think it's always been a thing in the disc golf industry where. All the manufacturers are lowballing the players, and now the players are really realizing how much influence they have. And I think that Paul's deal, my deal, everybody can kind of gauge their market value based on us. Obviously, not everybody can be a top player in the world, but everybody fits in somewhere. And so within the disc golf economy, everybody can kind of gauge how much they're worth and represent themselves to these brands and say, hey, I think I'm worth this much based on Ricky or
0: Paul. So let's just talk about this manufacturer deal. You mentioned that people are starting to look outside of just manufactured kind of agreements and stuff like that. But specifically when it comes to this, what are you required to do, right? Like, what are they looking for you to do? I'm assuming that you're going to, I think I saw that you're coming out with like your own line of disc, right? So they'll make a line of disc and you'll try to go sell those and do these things. Are there appearances mixed in with this? Like, just talk me through kind of what these companies expect of you guys.
1: Yeah. So obviously there's playing requirements where you got to play X amount of tournaments. I think my contract says I got to play like 20 tournaments, which is normal. So I'll have to play all DGPT events, which is the biggest tour that we have. And then you'll have to play the majors, which is like United States championships, world championships, and European Open championships. So all the international majors as well. So there's playing requirements. And then there's social media requirements where I'm going to be posting and doing certain things social media wise. YouTube, I'm going to be posting YouTube videos through my channel and their channel. Disc store signings as well. So I'll go to like a local disc golf shop and say, Hey, Ricky's going to set up from 11 to one and do a store signing. We've got maybe a super unique disc that we're releasing and you can come to the shop and get that. And I'll sign disc for two hours and shake hands and, and talk with fans and stuff. And so there's that kind of stuff that I'm doing. And then as far as the deal, like you're talking about the eight signature discs, I'm working with the designers on making my own line of discs. So it's going to be like a driver, a mid range and a putter. And then a couple variations of each. So obviously it'll be eight discs, which will be most of the discs that are in my personal bag. So I can genuinely, they're just discs that I genuinely throw and want to promote because I like the performance of them and I had a hand in, in designing them. And, and so they're going to have my personal branding on them. Saki Bombs my brand. And so we're going to come up with that. Obviously the design process takes a while. So yeah, there's a lot of facets to the contract that obviously dynamic has to come through. And obviously there's things that I have to live up to too. And the beauty of it, though, is that that's just a minimum. You know, I still get to collect tournament winnings. There's still lots of other side incomes that I'm making on top of that. It's not like they just lumped everything into that contract, which is great. And like I said, I have an agency that's going out pursuing some sponsorships. And I got some pretty big deals in the queue that they're working on, which is great. And I think that that's going to be just another step in my career and, and disc golf's path to creating top professional players like we are right now.
0: Yeah, I love that. You might end up above Paul after all. We'll have to see. I think so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, where did Saki Bomb come from? Has that been your brand forever? Like, how did you come up with that?
1: Yeah, so growing up when I was a younger kid, I just I would obviously go to the local course and people would watch me throw and they're like, "Oh, why Saki can bomb," and so it's kind of started turning into like a nickname. And so someone started saying like, "Oh, Saki Bomb." Yeah. I kind of just rolled with that. It was just a local guy that started calling me that from my local course. And everyone thinks of the sake bombs, like what you pound on the ground and you know, the yeah. drink, but yeah. So it's spelled S O C K I. And what it basically just means why sake can bomb the dish. That's where it comes up with, but it also has a dual meaning like the sake bomb S A K E bomb. And it's funny. Cause I turned 21 in Japan and I was drinking sake bombs. It was, it was funny. <laughs> it was just, it was a major in Japan and I actually won. It. it was my second big win in 2014. And I was drinking sake bombs in Japan. Pretty fun moment in my
0: disc golf career. I love that. That's awesome. Ha- yeah. Where else do you guys travel on the tour? I'm assuming that was a major or something, not necessarily for the United yeah. States tour. But where else have you traveled for disc golf?
1: Yeah. So Japan has a big major. It's usually every year, but the last couple of years obviously hasn't happened. And then Australia has a Australian Open. And then Europe, Finland, and Sweden have majors a lot. Finland is like disc golf's the most popular sport. In Finland behind, I think it's hockey and then disc golf. So it's like the second most popular sport. So there's a huge disc golf population. We go to Finland a lot. It's funny, actually, because a lot of you guys probably know Lowry and He's a disc golfer from Finland, but he obviously plays for the Cavs now, one of my teams. But yeah, he came out to one of the tournaments to watch one of the disc golf tournaments. When he used to play for the Bulls, we had a tournament in Chicago or outside of Chicago that he came to watch, which was kind of cool, playing the tournament having him there. And he's just a big disc golf fan. He likes to play in his off time when he's not playing basketball, just as an outlet. And I think that that's kind of turning into a trend as well. A lot of these professional athletes are reaching out to me because they're like, oh, yeah, I play disc golf. Like I said, they dedicate their lives to their sport, but they just want to go out there and have fun and and unwind from whatever grind they have going on. And I think that that's another reason why disc golf is becoming so popular is because you can get to my level and you can get to a level of just going out there to have fun and, and unwind and de-stress. And, and there's somewhere to fit in for almost everybody anywhere in between those two levels.
0: Is there a tournament in Miami or no? There used to be a couple tournaments. There's not
1: a huge disc golf scene there. It's not really huge. Northern Florida, like, like Orlando and Tallahassee, there's a bigger disc golf scene. But yeah, Miami isn't as big.
0: All right. So I may have to travel if I want to go to a tournament.
1: That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. You definitely need to go to a tournament. I think there's definitely some cool locations. I'm sure you travel a lot. Yeah. But yeah, there's quite the production at tournaments, the tournaments and the spectators have grown a ton at tournaments. It's almost starting to feel like it's a golf term where there's just mobs of people. And it's really cool. That part of the sport has grown a lot since COVID. It blew up and then people finally were able to come to the tournament physically instead of watching it on YouTube. And that was a huge step.
0: Amazing. All right. last thing I want to talk about is Bitcoin. All right. You shocked some people, I think, taking $250,000 signing bonus on this deal, specifically 100% in Bitcoin. Talk me through just why you did that and kind of like how long you've been interested in Bitcoin and so on.
1: Yeah. So I've been an advocate and I've been kind of researching it, watching videos, listening to people for about two years now. And so I've always had the passion for it. And I think that there's a big crossover in disc golf with disc golfers and crypto. I mean, every industry, really, crypto is growing like crazy. So I think that with me getting more money in my contract, I feel like I've got enough money coming in to invest and do all the things that I want. So I think Bitcoin and crypto, obviously, I've got other positions and other coins and stuff and other altcoins. But I just think that with that amount of money, I think with Bitcoin being a lot more stable than some of these riskier altcoins, that was the, the right move. You know, there's a lot of people that were like, oh, that's so cool, you know, and, and then e- even the people that didn't really understand crypto or Bitcoin, they're like, oh, that's cool. He's doing something new and innovative. So that's part of what I wanted to do. It's not just to be different. It's obviously something I genuinely believed in, but also something that got a lot of eyes on the contract and the sport from outsiders that may just be into crypto and just think that's cool. And so I think it was a great partnership between the two.
0: What did Dynamic Discs say when you mentioned that? They were actually supportive. They hadn't paid anybody in crypto or anything before, but I think for me, it
1: was another sign of like, they're a new company, innovative, and they're willing to do new stuff like that. And that's another reason why I went into business with them. Obviously, the money's great, but they're a company that's new and keeps up with the times and they're willing to say, hey, yeah, I think this is a cool thing. We want to do it and support you as well. And so that's just a sign of how they do business. And I'm pumped to work with a company that is like that.
0: Well, I hope they gave it to you today instead of <laughs> to 10 days ago or a week ago. Yes, actually. They did. Okay.
1: Yes. I got in at a great position. I think I got in at like 42. So I got a little bit, but it's either way. You're never going to time the bottom. Everybody knows yeah. that. Even if it goes down a little bit more, I'm happy with my position overall.
0: You're good. That's awesome, yeah. man. Congrats again. Lastly, like where do you see, you know, I know you mentioned that the sport is obviously growing. It has grown a lot and you think it's going to continue to grow. And that was part of the main reason as to why you accepted a four-year deal versus something like a 10-year deal and a lifetime deal. You're going to be able to sign a new deal when you're 32, hopefully if you stay healthy and all these things. How big do you see this sport getting? Is this a sport that can be a major sport in the United States? Is this a sport that can be close to golf? Just walk me through kind of how you think the sport will grow over time.
1: Yeah, I think that the pandemic was actually like one of the best things to happen to the sport, the PDJ grew like a ridiculous amount of members. I think it took them like thirty or forty years to get to hundred thousand members, and then I don't know the exact stat, but it took them like almost two or three years over the pandemic to actually get another hundred thousand. So it gained a hundred thousand when it took them thirty years to get to that point up until three years ago, and so it's now at over two hundred thousand members, uh, which is just active members. Obviously, there's way more players that play disc golf casually and don't have a PDJ membership. Those are just dedicated, serious. Disc golfers that play tournaments and are active and every week, playing tournaments and stuff. But yeah, the pandemic was crazy. People just obviously, you know, stuck inside. They want to, you know, nothing to do. And you can order a couple of discs on Amazon. Go to your local course, and nothing can really happen. You're outside in the nature. People are just tired of being cooped up. So I think that that was huge. And then on top of that, people are going on YouTube if they are stuck inside and can't get out to play. They're watching it. And then once they are able to get outside and do stuff, they're going to play. So. It, there was a double-edged sword there to where people were getting exposed to disc golf, whether they went outside to play it or just watched on YouTube. Obviously the pandemic is what it is. And, but there's a definitely for the sport, it was something to where it grew a ton. As far as the trajectory of in the future, I think that I look at it obviously from a professional standpoint, but there's, you know, beginners, there's kids. I don't think it's really too far away that colleges will offer sponsorships not sponsorships. I'm sorry. Scholarship. Scholarships. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. So scholarships. And so, I think probably five years or less, if I had to guess, is what I would expect colleges to really offer that. And I think that's just another sign of the growth of the sport. And parents can tell their kids, hey, there's a future here, as opposed to me living in my car and just kind of paving the way, not knowing what's going to happen. You can actually take the process of say, hey, going to high school, I'm going to probably have a high school disc golf team, go to college and have a college career in disc golf potentially. And so I think it could just be like any other major sport to where there's a stepping stone and there's a path. If you're athletic and inclined and disciplined enough, you can make yourself a career. And also, I think there's the social media branding standpoint that is huge in this day and age. You have to post on social media. You have to build your brand that way and do all the different things that you need at your due diligence to grow your brand. So that way you're worth that much more to a potential sponsor, which is where you're making a lot of your money. Yeah, it's a great partner of the two, of the business side and the professional side. And for me, I've luckily got people to help with the business side, the social media side, marketing side. And I can just focus on what I do best training, working out, practicing and performing at the highest level.
0: Gotcha. All right. Two more questions quickly. How many days a week do you play? Do you play seven days a week, six days a week, five days a week?
1: Yeah. So it's off season right now. So I'm more focused on working out and stuff. So the off season, I'm I'm still playing, but not as much as I would during the season, but during the season, which our season's March through October, I'm playing every day, all day, Monday through Thursday is practice. And I do a lot of stretching and, and a lot of mobility, stability work with my body just to keep injury free. So Monday through Thursday is practice days. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday is tournament. And then Monday is right back at it again. So, you know, it's most of the time I'm playing 25 or 30 tournaments a year, which is almost every weekend. So it, it turns into a grind. But you practice, you play the tournament, you go to the next one, rinse, wash, repeat. And so that's why the offseason, optimizing your health and wellness in the offseason, get yourself and your mind ready for the long grind of a season is super important.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. That's a lot of rounds for sure. And lastly, yeah. you still got the Toyota Camry or now? No, I do not. <laughs> you, you ditched I, that? I actually
1: totaled that thing. Uh, I told it and don't have that anymore. So I've got a van. So I have a van with a trailer and I do merch sales and stuff on the road. Some people have RVs and stuff, but I'm more of a, I like the van just because I can have my space and stay at Airbnbs and stuff when I'm traveling. So for a professional disc golfer, yeah, a van is what a lot of us go with.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Thanks, Ricky. I really appreciate you doing this again. And congrats on the deal. It's really cool to see, you know, new sports coming up like this and a lot of people participating, but also the money following it. So congrats, man.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show, man. I appreciate it.
0: Of course. We'll have to do it again soon. Yes, sir.